0: Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up, uh, with my co host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Forkney. News Data covers the energy sector in California, the Northwest, and beyond like no one else. Here are some of our top stories, but first, Jason, how was San Diego?
1: San Diego was great. It was. Uh... Nice and cool. I was right on the water. I was able to walk around a little bit and uh, sort of marina
0: area. <clears throat> it was beautiful. Yeah, yeah, you were down there for the uh, for NARUC. Uh, then yes. Which uh, can you remind me what boy and our listeners what NARUC stands for?
1: Yes, Nas- National Association of Regulatory Utility Commissioners, which is the national organization for all your state PUC members. They come from all around the country, and this is a summer policy summit.
0: So what it what does that entail, the policy <laughs> summit? I mean, I know it, it it entails policy, but I mean what yes. does that mean in terms of how they're uh, the substance of what they're talking about?
1: Well, you yeah, have different panel discussions, everything from cybersecurity. They had a poverty simulation. Um, and yeah, you have representatives um from each state, and uh, it's an interesting event because, of course, you have a lot of different perspectives. Um, the current NARUC chair is from Virginia, so um, that's the most interesting thing about, thing about it. Um, you'll see a little gentle poking at California here and there, but um, yeah, it's a chance for state regulators to c- commiserate on energy topics,
0: and it's uh, <laughs> been going on for a long time, yeah. Yeah. Commiseration. It's a good for morale sometimes. I know certainly, I mean, it varies from state to state, but uh, I mean, these conversations, I I think they, from my experience, they really take the commissioners, take these back, what they, what their, the perspectives they see, what they learn, take these back to their commission meetings and dockets they're overseeing in their states.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know how many forums you, you have where you have this many. representatives from different states, uh, policymakers together, Um, but it's great. There was a lot of talk about transmission. Uh, What I wrote about in Bottom Lines was the Wednesday meeting of the uh, Federal-State Joint Task Force on Transmission, um, which is, uh, I guess, chaired by Richard Glick, who's chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. He was talking about the importance of interregional transmission. That's what FERC is really focused on. The Order One Thousand that came out in twenty eleven is not was well intentioned, according to Glick. But uh, he's as he pointed out, there hasn't been any interregional transmission built as a result of that process. Um, so he noted that uh, you know Texas Wintersturm Yuri in, in February. 2021, there was um, hundreds of deaths, and this is partly because Texas doesn't have much interconnection to other regions. According to Glick, you know the Southwest Power Pool and Mid-Continent Independent System Operator also lost significant generation during the cold weather event, but they didn't have widespread outages. According to Glick, the reason for that is, quote, because they were connected to these other regions of the country, including PJM, and were able to wheel in a lot more power. Of course, it wasn't as cold in PJM at the time. The results were mark remarkably different. Unquote. Um, so he used that as one of the benefits to
0: uh, uh, interregional transmission. Yeah, and I, I mean, in terms of the benefits, you've got obviously reliability, uh, resiliency. I mean, also, mm-hmm. I, as I, far as I understand, and I know there are examples of this. Uh, it can that that lack of interconnection can create some pretty significant price differentials. Um, yeah, between. Uh, geographies that just are right next to each other. Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, this is a really
1: tough one. Ten percent of only ten percent of our transmission system has been built since twenty thirteen. So we've been seeing a big slowdown. And it's there's also recognition to integrate more renewables. You're going to need a lot more transmission. So um, yeah, it's. You know what I think about this process though is it's the local opposition, as I've said many times, that is usually the hurdle. But uh, yeah, pricing, uh, integrating renewables, reliability, resilience—there's a lot of benefits to interregional transmission.
0: Uh, and I'm I'm going to use that as a segue. That's a good segue into yeah. one of our top stories. Uh, a, a group of utilities, some of the big players in the in the West Western United States, are. Are working on that to increase that interregional, uh, what's the word i'm looking for uh it's, been a, it's already transfer. been a long week okay. yeah uh <laughs> that uh yeah being able to bring on more renewables and uh improve their reliability by looking at ways to increase organized market services in the west mm-hmm. so it's called the western markets exploratory group and they they announced last week that they uh, nearly doubled in size in terms of the members involved. So they, the uh, new members include Bonneville Power Association, Avista, Northwestern Energy, Tacoma Power, and Schlann and Grant County PUDs, PUDs two of the mid mid-Columbia PUDs, um, who you know, have a lot of hydropower and a major exporter there. Uh, five other big utilities and uh, marketers from the West Arizona Electric Power Cooperative, the Balancing Authority of Northern California, El Paso Electric, Tri-Generation Transmission Association, and Western Area Power Administration. So really some significant players in the West, and they join a group of 14 existing members that includes uh, Pacific Corps, Seattle City Light, Portland General, uh, Xcel Energy in Colorado, Los Angeles Department of Water and Power. So, like I said, a lot of major players here and they're working collaboratively to come up with a roadmap. They're hoping to come up with it by the end of the summer-ish, laying out a path forward to moving towards greater uh, marketization in the West. uh, Something that there's just been a lot more momentum towards now after years and years, decades of false starts, uh they're, the situation now with having to bring on a lot of renewables decarbonization and just changes in the in the you know pretty much everything except the lec- the electrons yeah and the in the power uh, electric power uh, industry is changing and that mm-hmm. is it's amazing to see how that those n- needs have really brought momentum to these m- Conversations about how do we get to organize markets in the West, and so yeah. this is another step forward. They they've not committed these the members here so twenty five members now all together. Uh, they've not committed to yeah. Uh, sure. This is like we're, we're all going to do the same thing. They're still leaving room that you know this depends on what's best for each individual utility mm-hmm. and the regulatory. Uh, you know, FERC or state regulatories, both, whatever, whatever they're beholden to. Uh, but this is a really big step forward in, in terms of moving towards uh, bringing that organized markets, greater organization to, to the West. So, yeah, it's uh, this is really picking up steam quickly. And um,
1: you know, who knows, maybe a really good place to move towards an RTO, I would think.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things they said actually explicitly in some of the public statements the group has released is that that roadmap uh, could include everything up to including a, a, an RTO regional transmission organization.
1: Yeah, and I'm that sure
0: certainly uh, on the table.
1: Yeah, I think it's on everyone's minds. Uh, California Independent System Operator, I'm sure, is paying close attention to this as they. Work on bringing the extended day-ahead market across the EIM footprint, which is it's kind of a similar situation, but uh, it's really two competing um, efforts here. Will be interesting to see how this plays out.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Kaiso could be part of their their roadmap. Um, I mean, that's yeah. We the, one of the things that we're covering at CEM and clearing up uh, is these kind of comp- competing offerings from southwest power pool and kaiso both uh Mm -hmm. offering uh imbalanced markets and uh day ahead markets which is the the major proposals that they're working on that um it'll be interesting to see who who wins out in that in that offering which we should see some significant move forward on those uh fronts later this year yeah yeah so stay tuned yeah and this this effort moving quickly. Yeah. So another thing that's picking up speed, electrification of transportation. Now you've, you've got a oh, yeah. story about this, uh, Yes, about that this week.
1: Yep. From Linda Daley Paulson, the California Energy Commission um, is having ever accelerating emphasis on EV vehicle adoption. Uh, they recently awarded 7 million to support charging infrastructure for the commercial sector. The this money is aimed towards uh, medium heavy duty truck charging corridors, as well as charging for on demand transportation services, Um, the CEC, the CEC at its July meeting gave the green light to 2 million grant to Volvo North America to install charging infrastructure for medium and heavy duty trucks along the state route 99 and interstate five corridors Volvo says construction uh, will begin uh, this year, and they expect five, uh, these five stations to be um, online next year. So yeah, a lot of movement there. CEC also awarded about $5 million in grants for EV charging projects designed to support EV use by on-demand transportation services such as ride-hailing, taxis, and meat and grocery delivery. These proposed projects will be located at sites including Los Angeles International Airport, LA Convention Center, and Sacramento area BP gas stations. And, you know, I live in rural California, Northern California. I'm seeing a lot more chargers and a lot more EVs. And uh, they were really uh, growing quickly as a share of vehicle sales. But the transportation sector, uh, according to Linda's story, the average range for large trucks is 100 to 200 miles um so a lot a lot of room to improve in that one and uh fleet operations take a lot of megawatts too but california going full steam ahead on that
0: yeah one thing i'm i'm interested to learn more about i'm sure you can steer me towards some work that might have been done on this is how the charging times for that for trucking, um, what that means, how does that affect the business case for trucking companies to electrify? If mm-hmm. you know a truck has to stop, that's that adds time to uh, you know their their distance or their journey that they've got to make. And yeah. as the saying goes, time is money. You know, yep. uh, does the fuel co- costs totally offset that? Um, you know I'm sure that's something they're looking at very closely. Yeah. And also when you're traveling
1: long distances, you're, you know, currently EV charging programs are done mostly on a utility basis, but people don't drive in the same utility territory. So there's issues with that too, the state requirements, utility requirements yeah. um, across these much longer distances.
0: Yeah, no, it'll, uh, when the, the the Biden administration, as I understand it, I mean, they're, some of their push for the money they want to put towards uh, EV in- infrastructure was to address that, the just that concern that um, trying to at some level get the federal government involved in. Hey, let's. This has to be a local, state, and national kind of approach to making sure we've got this covered.
1: Yeah, and I think, as you said, when it comes to commercial trucking, they're definitely still figuring out all the parameters of this and how it's going to work.
0: Yeah. yeah. That, that, Linda had a really interesting story and uh, folks should check it out. Uh, I'm, I'll also put in a plug that uh, Josh Keeling and I recently had an interview with um, Shana Brownstein, formerly of Portland General Electric, now working with Tesla and utilities. Uh, and one of the things we talked about was just some of these big kind of questions that really shape our planning for transportation electrification. So that that's is in the works that'll be out on the energy west podcast stream keep an eye out for it in the next couple of weeks really interesting co- uh, conversation excellent uh, so <clears throat> oregon's offshore uh is is the saudi arabia of offshore wind All right. but um uh, getting that energy potential to load centers is a big question of how to solve that and how challenging it's going to be So, my colleague uh steve ernst just took a look at three studies um that just came out and one well one's upcoming uh they gave a very wide range of how big a challenge this is going to be to solve so the first one from the national renewable energy lab that one of the federal labs uh <clears throat> excuse me found that their forecast is that you can bring on 2.6 gigawatts of offshore wind without having to do too many upgrades uh, to BPA's transmission system, which is the dominant, that's the transmission system in there, uh, Mm -hmm. to move it over the Cascades to the I-5 corridor where you've got the really, you know, 500 kV uh, transmission lines. Yeah, BPA's upcoming study of transmission issues though, found that pretty quickly, you're going to max out their ability to move stuff over the mountains and that they think it's going to cost their projection was $900 million of upgrades, uh, by, and it won't be ready until 2033 that's to bring two to five or two to three gigawatts on now, former BPA head, uh, head of BPA, Randy Hardy his consulting firm came up with a, a, a third study that he thinks that to bring on uh, that much wind, it's going to cost two to $3 billion. Yeah. So we've got everything from, you know, a nominal amount of money from NREL to as much as $3 billion uh, from Randy Hardy's consulting group. So a pretty wide range. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and also the, the estimates of when this will be ready in the 2030s, uh, you know, at, at the earliest, you know, transmission wow. is not the easiest thing to build, as listeners yeah. know. So uh, yeah, they you know early to mid 2030s with the projections for these studies. Wow. Yeah.
1: yeah, long way to go on that issue. You need transmission um, and you need quite a bit of infrastructure to support these these floating turbines
0: yeah but a, like as one of the state regulators for oregon said it is uh you know the the oregon coast is like the saudi arabia of offshore wind so a huge potential for uh the northwest and northern california and other areas in the west well just the western grid in general now you had a story about pattern energy Buying transmission.
1: Yeah, uh, this is from Abigail Sawyer. Pattern Energy has said it has acquired the 550 mile bi directional 525 kV Sunzia Southwest transmission project from Southwestern Power Group. Uh, Sunzia Transmission and Pattern partnered with the New Mexico Renewable Energy Transmission Authority to develop this project, which was originally approved back in 2015. Sunzia line will run from central New Mexico to south central Arizona, transporting up to 3,000 megawatts from Pattern's Sunzia wind projects. Together, the wind and transmission projects comprise the largest renewable energy infrastructure project in US history, it's according to a July 18th news release. Um, according to Pattern CEO Mike Garland, this is an $8 billion project. Pattern expects construction on both the wind and transmission projects to begin next year. Final approvals, including USBLM, are anticipated by April 23. Sunzia transmission oper- operations are expected to begin in 2025 and Sunzia wind in early 2026. So some good news there. Um, yeah, 550 miles yeah. for the
0: project. Yeah, and that, I mean, that is a uh, huge potential in terms of bringing on more renewables um mm-hmm. so glad to hear it
1: yeah patterns also working on the southern spirit project also 525 kv 2000 megawatt bi-directional line that will connect ERCOT, that's texas to the yes. southeast market yeah oh, i did not know that That is, wow
0: pattern is busy yeah
1: We're throwing a lot of money down um and yeah, uh, we, we need more of this infrastructure so sure people are happy to see this coming online
0: yeah well up in montana uh the coal-fired coal strip uh, power plant is it's not certain how much longer it's going to be online and the uh, federal bankruptcy judge just told the one of the co-owners and the operator of the plant Talon energy that it has about a month to come up with a plan giving the other co-owners a choice about closing the plant or keeping it running now four of the co-owners are in washington oregon and they've got state mandates to decarbonize and get out of coal-fired um, generation yeah. the uh, for the wash the three utilities in washington they've got uh they have to be out by the end of 2026 or i'm sorry the by the beginning of 2026 and this has been the, the ownership group uh, has really had some internecine fighting over this because uh, Talon and Northwestern want to keep the plant running uh, yeah. for as long as they can. Northwestern Energy is in Montana. And yeah, the judge uh, said, hey, look, you, you can't leave the folks in Washington and Oregon, just uh, leave them hanging here. He said, yeah, I'm not going to leave people in Seattle and Portland and other areas uh, Uncertain about where where their energy is going to be if they um, you know sure. if this if bankruptcy does this in or or what have you and they they need to plan uh, you know, during the proceedings the attorney for Talent Energy indicated that the company might be interested in acquire buying out the other co owners. Uh, <clears throat> which that was an interesting comment because it is the lawmakers in Washington have made it they, their statutory uh, limits or restrictions on that. They, they said when they passed the clean energy mandates uh, back in 2019, they followed it up with another bill to explicitly say the intention of this is to t- reduce the absolute numbers of, amount of carbon emissions in, on the grid. So not just to, you know, shifted off to other um utilities and other jurisdictions outside of uh washington state so they they want to see these uh you know coal-fired resources come offline that yeah. is statutorily written in so it's an interesting mm-hmm. comment by talon because it, it appears that you know washington lawmakers really closed that door so
1: yeah um month is not a long time to come up with that plan. Hmm.
0: Now, well, the the judge I have to say was uh, listening to the hearing, the audio from the hearing. Um, there definitely was uh, he he had some impatience, in, yeah, in terms of his the way he was talking about it, and wow. he's like, "Look, this you need to do this. You can't just dither on this. Yeah. Um, you guys have the time and the resources to figure this out. You've got a month. You've got to give them two options about." Closing, keeping it running. They don't have to like the options, but you need to get them two viable, realistic options. So, yeah, August eleventh, they've got to come back for it. There's a hearing. or They've got to come back with it. There's a hearing August fifteenth. So, looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, interesting situation there, but um, we'll see what uh, see what happens.
0: Yeah, a month. Yeah, so you know, uh, listeners, please come back. Uh, you can. See how that plays out, and uh, you know, read. You can go read more about these stories and more on our website newsdata.com. Well, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening, and as always, please rate and review this podcast and whatever platform you listen, and let other people know about it. Energy West is edited by Lucas Smith at Lucky Sound Studio. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at dcatchpole, and my co-host Jason Fordney is on Twitter at Fordney Energy. That's F-O-R-D-N-E-Y Energy.
1: Yep, and as Dan said, you can read more of our coverage at newsdata.com. Nobody covers energy in the West like we do. Follow us on Twitter. C E M is at C E M News Data. That's the letter C E M News Data. Clearing Up is at C U News Data. Again, that's the letter C U News Data. Uh, Dan, have a great week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow.